0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to Scaling Impacts. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Brian Adamczyk, who is the Executive Director of the Brooklyn Music School. Hi, Brian, how are you? And thanks for being on the show.
1: Hi, Sean, I'm doing great. Um, and thank you for having me.
0: I'm excited. I am as well. And probably the best place to start, if that works okay for you, is so that our listeners could become more familiar with you and your background. Can you describe for them a little bit more about your background and how you became the Executive Director?
1: Sure. So, uh, you know, my my background uh, began as a professional musician. Um, I went to school in Philadelphia and was based in Philadelphia for many years um, as an active saxophone, clarinet flute, and oboe woodwind specialist, uh, jazz major. Um, And I quickly began teaching very early on in my career too. So um, I ran a woodwind studio for over 15 years and taught at a bunch of different types of schools both in in Philadelphia and in the suburbs surrounding areas, Um, performed all over the place, um, a lot of different cities on the East Coast in particular, Um, but then I became very interested in the idea of coordinating and putting together different types of music programming, so that sort of led me down more of an administrative track as of about eight or nine years ago. Um, I then landed at the Kimmel Center for the Performing Arts, which is a huge. Nonprofit in Philadelphia um, that has a multi campus, multi venue setup. So that was an amazing experience. And sort of through working um, in the education department there, which was really trying to reach and create access to music programming for Title I students in the public school systems of Philadelphia, and some teaching I did at Temple University uh, through a community scholars program, um, then it sort of dawned on me that I was. Really interested in trying to reach demographics that may have otherwise not had access to music that I love so much and love teaching, and it's it's been a huge part of my life. So fast forwarding to just a couple years ago in 2020, I uh, arrived at the Brooklyn Music School, um, where I actually began as the director of programming and productions. Um, So I was sort of charged with overseeing and implementing all programming, which included all types of music, you know, lessons, ensembles, group classes, but we also do dance at BMS, uh, BMS Brooklyn Music School, um, music, musical theater, and also music therapy. So all performing arts, it's pretty wide ranging. Um, and then after a year in that role, the production end was sort of overseeing the theater space that exists in our facility. I was then put in as interim executive director in 2021. And then our board of trustees voted me in permanent last November. So I've been in my current role as executive director for uh, just over a year. Um, and I should note that uh, Brooklyn Music School's entire mission, which I guess I'll dig into more as the podcast goes along here, um, the the core mission is to create access and accessibility and affordable performing arts programming to the community. So that obviously resonates with me a lot. And that is why I migrated a bit north uh, to Brooklyn.
0: It's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing and obviously very excited about the... the- Key element that Philadelphia has played in that, uh, in the story of yours, right? Uh, Favorite city of mine where I currently reside. So we talked a lot about that. And um, I think that would be an excellent place to go next in terms of talking about the mission of uh, Brooklyn Music School. You mentioned a couple of things that I'm excited to dive into further already, which is like extending uh, that value to the communities that may not have access to it like some do. So Um, If you include that in the story, that would be great. I know we'll get into it in addition to that as well also.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I can can unpack Brooklyn Music School and the mission a bit more. That'd be great. Um, so it's a very old organization um it's 113 years old so that was something else that was very interesting to me it was just the history not only within the walls and the character and the soul and, and the historic block that it sits on um in fort green which is a section of brooklyn but um just thinking about all the people that passed through the building and just having that kind of history um so uh the story goes that European immigrants uh, came to Brooklyn specifically, and I think it began as a small piano studio um, around 1909, we believe, is the official founding year. And then there was sort of a transitional few years where they moved through different facilities, but then landed at 126 St. Felix Street, which is where we are to this day, um, around 1920. So we've been in our building, which was three brownstones, two or three brownstones. It's hard to say because the floors don't line up, but they were basically merged together. So if you can sort of, you know, for the listeners, envision a four-story old historic brownstone, more or less, with varying size small practice rooms, larger group class and ensemble rooms. But then nestled within inside of that is a 260-seat old Spanish-style theater, fully functioning, you know, 30 by 30 stage, lighting racks, sound system, the whole nine yards. So that's that's what our facility is uh, today. And the the founders um, and the mission, which was written in 1909 and still stands, of course, was to create access. So they believed that everybody in the community and I think their idea of the community may have been sort of immediate, you know, the the neighborhoods around Fort Greene and downtown Brooklyn, Um, everybody should experience the joy of music, the power of music, the healing of music. Um, And then as the decades progressed, dance was incorporated. Like I said, music therapy is sort of a growing department. So um, yeah, but the mission is, I think, an essential one and um you know we have all demographics and walks of life that extend way outside of just brooklyn at this point and we can talk about some international work that's happening now but um it's about getting the programming into the community
0: directly incredible story um and vivid description as well too i felt like i was there nicely done <laughs> uh, having been in neighborhoods like that especially in brooklyn i can totally picture it in my mind so but i'm very excited to see it in person when i do get that opportunity so thank you for sharing and I probably be a good opportunity now to talk more about you talked you described the mission of the organization but I'd love for our listeners to get a better idea in terms of how you do that and what that impact looks like perhaps what impact means to you how you go about delivering it today right your story arc and the over the course of your career and how you've gravitated towards this is a special one and I want to capture that as best as we can on the show as well too so our listeners have a better idea in terms of like how you're leveraging music in order to drive impact
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways I can sort of break this down and explain it. So
0: hopefully this will all
1: make perfect sense. But um, just going back to my background for a second, um, I have done a whole lot of educational work in different types of school systems um, or doing master classes or putting together, you know, cohorts or installments of programming and then bringing it into different types of school systems. So this is all basically outreach, right? We have a physical location at 126 St. Felix. So within our building, we have an active theater that our students perform in all the time. We rent our space to local artists, which I think is another access point, right? It's this, it's a hub in the community. We want it to be a homespun place that people gather. Um, so we're, we're running lessons, ensembles, group classes in the building, but then all of that curriculum and programming is then pumped out into the neighborhoods in the form of partnering with public schools, charter schools, private schools, senior centers. Um, our programming, this is very important, ranges all the way from early childhood through senior citizens. So we're, we're literally trying to hit every angle of one's life from start to finish and everything in between. Um, So we are now doing some work in a foster care agency. Um, So as far as creating impact, um, one big way is to generate what we believe is quality, versatile programming that happens in our building. And then we bring that that programming through our outreach sector to many different types of, you know, partnering organizations, schools, et cetera, what I was just explaining. Um, so that creates a much larger impact We're we're literally reaching more people. Um, and then there's indirect and direct impact that we like to think about a lot. So, for example, direct impact is let's say we're in a public school in Brooklyn and we have a whole fifth grade class that's going to take intro to guitar. And they have this for ten weeks with one of the Brooklyn Music School teaching artists. That's very direct impact. And maybe those students had no music program, or they only had violin that they were offered or whatever. It's it's very custom fit. Um, But then let's say at the end of, you know, a semester of instruction, those students can sort of pluck away and play some simple songs and have fun. And they do an assembly for their entire school. Well, now all of a sudden the K to eight or whatever we might be talking about, Receives this experience and it sort of goes from there. Um, one other big thing I want to say is that BMS tries to identify by not only doing a lot of performance uh, and events, um, but we try to create very unique and meaningful performance opportunities for the students. So if you come to our school, you're getting great programming. We're trying to make it very easy for you to get it, you know, no obstacles, very accessible, but you're going to have, like, by default, at least a handful of really great performances. Some might happen in the theater, some might be with a partner organization, some might be in the Bronx, it might be in another state. Um, so I, I think all of these different ways are sort of scratching the surface of how we're, we're actively thinking about impact. And we're trying to just leverage the diversity of New York City. Um, there's so many communities and walks of life and demographics, and we each year try to reach new audiences, new demographics, and extend further out. So um, hopefully that that made sense. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do to create impact, but those are some of the first ones that come to my mind.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. really gives us a good idea for what the school is capable of and, and really where your area of focus is. Can you describe for us a little bit as well too what the transformation is like for these students who previously may have not had access to any of this type of programming, as in, What type of transformations have you seen them be able to make? type of questions have they asked? What are the reactions like? And what does kind of the before and after of being exposed to your program look like for those students?
1: Yeah. Well, this <laughs> this is like the emotional part for me because yeah. when when you're delivering the programming and you're watching students progress let's say it's on an instrument or maybe they're taking dance you know whatever um that's a pretty beautiful process in and of itself because you're sort of watching somebody maybe fall in love with an art um maybe it it gives them an expressive outlet that they didn't know they had you know etc cetera. Um, But I've got to say that when you do something like a culminating performance at the end, and you know, I I really think any ability level or any age is kind of fascinating to watch. Like I've really loved teaching fourth grade clarinet students and I've loved teaching advanced college age saxophone students, you know, so um, I think, let me just sort of isolate. Let's say there's a fourth grade class that takes violin for the first time. They probably weren't going to be able to afford to buy a violin. Let's just say, now, not all of our demographics have this obstacle, but, but some do. Um, and let's say that their music program in their school didn't really facilitate the introduction of something like the violins to them, right? Um, so you're kind of watching them perk up and experience this new thing. Then you're watching them gain some confidence and have some fun and, and some pride and like, oh my gosh, I can sort of like play this instrument a little bit. I can do this. And then when there's a final performance and they get up and almost like no matter what they do, I mean, the, the courage to get on stage and to sort of like have some peer to peer support, like meeting the other fellow students in their class that are also playing violin alongside of them. And then no matter what happens, if there are parents in the audience, if there are their peers, you know, if there are other grade levels that have attended an assembly or something that I was was referencing earlier, Um, There's such a collective like support that like yes, you guys got up and you did it and you performed. And, you know, at BMS, um, we're not a conservatory mindset. We're not trying to produce every single student to become the next virtuoso or professional artist. Um, But what we want to do is we want to just create an introduction um, to all these different performing arts. And then, of course, we have very advanced students. We have talented students that do go into music or dance or some of these other disciplines. And that's great, too. Um, But I think, you know, for me, just watching the progression of like they're holding it in their hands for the first time. Let's say it's a violin they're in week eight, they can play a little bit, they're getting excited about the fact they can play, and then they get up and they do this thing. And they sort of like survive it, you know, it can be very nerve wracking to perform. I've seen this a 100,000 times, you know, putting on recitals and, you know, and, and I think the misconception is that artists never, you know, like you stop getting nervous. I mean, we all get nervous at times, and that's what makes it exciting. So again, these are just all my personal thoughts. And I'm thinking about BMS a lot, but my experience you know, at the Kimmel Center and some of these other programs that I've either taught in or coordinated or both, um, it's kind of the whole spectrum start to finish is, is quite rewarding to watch.
0: It's got to be such a remarkable process to observe, right? Starting from the basics or just being completely introduced to it, totally new like not having any prior experience to picking up gaining those skills and then putting on a performance right is this remarkable transformation for these uh students and people of all ages that may not have previously had access to something like that it can really life-changing you know i've seen it before myself as well too i've nowhere near as much experience as you do but i've dabbled enough to know that music can be an incredible outlet for folks um, for regardless of what it is that they're going through something like that to funnel any activity into being constructive in those ways and uh, being able to experience the arts is can be can really lead to some remarkable transformation. So I know the Brooklyn Music School is behind a lot of that. So we thank you for your contributions. And that sounds like some remarkable opportunities to help a lot of people. And that's, I know, as part of a previous conversation you and I had, I wanted to ask you more about this one, or if you wouldn't mind kind of telling a version of that story again, where we talked about uh, basically extending access to folks who Previously, have not had a lot of opportunities to make it out of their neighborhood or off of their block. For example, um, through the things that the school is doing, and that being that being a remarkable exposure for some of these students, uh, especially some of the younger generation as well. Also, through all of the hard work that you're doing, there's a, a interesting story there, and I know you've gotten some of this feedback, and it really puts things in perspective for those of us who have had those opportunities and don't realize yeah how many people may be shut out of that and how something like what the brooklyn music school is doing can really lead to transformations there as well too
1: um so sorry what would you like me to focus on yeah
0: no i i, w- I would um i would love for you to describe for us a little bit more about what we talked about before where you had um, experienced some of the students or some of the folks that you'd help have given you feedback where it's like previously not only they don't have access to basically the music and the art that we're talking about, but some of them had like never made it outside of their neighborhood or even off the block. I know you've gotten some of that feedback before. I know there was an interesting story there. So I wondered if you wouldn't mind sharing us a little bit more detail about kind of those, that type of feedback that you've gotten before as well.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So now I I know exactly what you're referring to. Um, So this if it's okay, um, just to pivot off of BMS for a moment, this was a program that I, I ran in Philadelphia. Um, and it, it was rooted around the introduction of jazz um, as, a, as a genre, as a part of history, especially in, in our country here. Um, so one component of this program um, that ran for a couple installments that were 10 weeks each, um, the students we're third to fifth grade, just to give everybody a picture of, of what age we're talking about. Um, they're being introduced to all these different you know, components of jazz and artists and songs and repertoire. Um, but everybody would get to go on a field trip at some point during the 10 weeks. And we would partner with a, a particular jazz club venue in the city of Philadelphia. Um, and these students would basically get to leave their regular classroom schedule for a few hours travel to the venue, have a nice lunch, hear a little bit from uh, musicians that I would coordinate and put together and then they would get a nice little like 45 minute concert on the, you know, venue stage. So yeah, I mean, one of the things I would do as the coordinator day of was I would actually travel to the public schools that we were partnering with that were involved in this. And I would like ride the bus with the students to the club and get them set up and have them seated. So yes, I mean, I, I think I was telling you previously, Many times, not just once, you know, I'd be on the bus, let's say with a bunch of fifth graders, you know, they're trying to figure out who this guy is, you know, who coordinated the program, because really, they had a relationship with the teaching artist. And I mean, they would just so, so openly say every once in a while, like, yeah, you know, Mr. Damsick, I'm so excited to be going to this fancy club where the tall buildings are. And what they were referring to was coming from sort of the, you know, north, south areas of Philadelphia, maybe west. um, They were talking about Center City where the high rises are. And that's where this club was. And you know, at least four or five different kids on on five different occasions said, you know, I'm really excited too, because I've never left my block before. So this is a really big deal. These kids would get dressed up. I mean, it was a big deal for them. And you could tell that they were sort of like digesting and enjoying the curriculum that we were presenting. But I mean, of course, the idea of missing school was probably exciting to them. But getting to go to a venue, this, you know, fancy venue, hearing music and you know the seating is kind of right by the stage so it was very intimate you know they're they're with these heavy new york and philly jazz musicians um who i would hand select that were also very good speakers and you know could sort of present like a workshop not just a performance so um i think that's what we were chatting about a bit it was really one of the more beautiful moments of of coordinating program which has a lot of challenge and it's it's hard work and a lot of pieces have to come together um but to hear kids saying that they've never left their block and that they're getting this exposure to a new style and of course there was a performance element so they would do bucket drums and there was some singing and some dancing we would talk about tied to the harlem renaissance unit um it it just is pretty neat to watch
0: it's really special it's pretty hard to deny the impact that this work has when you hear stories like that, to say the least. So those are pretty dramatic. Thank you for sharing. And then I know you have plans for essentially a lot of what we talk about on this show, which is like growing and scaling that impact. And we've had conversations about potential international exposure or partnering with other schools and other countries and cities, even, which is really interesting. I know some of that stuff is um, relatively new, but love to hear you talk a little bit in terms of like what your goals are for growing and scaling the impact that the Brooklyn Music School provides. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, your future plans.
1: Yeah. So just to to preface a little bit, um, you know, something that I began talking about and thinking about a lot in twenty twenty when I came to BMS, um, with leadership and with with the Board of Trustees and whatnot, was try was trying to create much more visibility. Um it, it's strange. Like we're this very old organization, so plenty of people in the community know about us, but many people like don't know about us. And it's it's an interesting sort of like mixture of both and People all the time are oh yeah I know you've been here forever, meaning the building, and then other people are like oh like I I just walked by and I didn't know that there was all this music and dance happening here, um, so visibility has been a big thing um, to try to work on. Uh, so of course, you know, again, New York city is so big and and vast. So we're trying to always like identify, okay, here, here's where we are in Brooklyn right now. We have our location. We're doing events here, here, here. We're in these schools. We kind of create like a map of what we're impacting and hitting. And then we look at Manhattan and Staten Island, the other boroughs. Um, so that's sort of one way to keep bumping out. And again, very, very tied to our outreach efforts, which I talked about earlier now. If we're talking about visibility, then the next step would be, OK, well, let's get some more national visibility. So I've already been thinking and, and talking to some colleagues that are universities that are spread in some different cities. Of course, Philadelphia is is at the top of my list because that's my my hometown. And I, I love Philly. Um, I have friends in Boston that are doing great work at Berkeley. Um, I have some contacts in New Orleans. New Orleans, again, is a very important jazz city. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about extending and doing some partnerships and maybe performance one-offs um perhaps at a university or some other kind of entity and then when you get beyond that um, and this is i think what you were getting at and this is what i'd love to talk a little bit about is the international component so how do we become international um when COVID hit <laughs> we put all of our programming on online as everybody did because we had to and we thought that we were going to do all this online programming forever now We will. We will always keep an online presence and a Zoom option and whatnot. But we quickly learned that we were competing with literally the entire world. So it was actually quite hard to get traction on certain programs and installment series that we were putting virtually and whatnot. Um, So, you know, then I started trying to think, Okay, well, how do we actually become international? How are we going to do this? Um, So there was an opportunity that was presented to me. Um, about seven or eight months ago, um, we were contacted by a music school in France, in Paris specifically, and that executive director had engaged with the previous executive director at Brooklyn Music School before, and there was even some kind of performance that happened in each city, but then that was it and nothing else really came of it. So when he called me and he was like, hey, do you wanna continue this? I, I was very excited because, Without going into too much detail, Paris as a city means a lot to me as a musician, as a saxophone player, especially classically trained, you know, studying the Paris Conservatory professors and whatnot. And then there's a huge jazz presence and there always has been. Um, so I couldn't have been more excited when he said, you know, let, let's talk, let's think about how we can develop this. So that resulted in him flying me over in June to meet his community. Um, work with the students a little bit there was a bit of a language barrier i've got to get my french together fast uh, but you know there there was plenty of english and translations i conducted their student ensembles and their orchestra and they did a performance at a big outdoor festival in paris one of my last days and i like, conducted i played clarinet um it, it was It was pretty amazing so that that started this this new relationship between the schools and between he and i the other executive director so now i've been back a couple of times and i'm just trying to understand you know how we can really keep the relationship building and what's most important to say is that it's rooted around a student exchange a student cultural exchange so the the main premise is that the students of brooklyn music school some of them at some point in their time with us will have the opportunity we hope to travel to paris And not only sort of mix with the students at this French school, but also do a performance in Paris, maybe a joint performance, some orchestral students from BMS join the orchestra at the French school. So uh, we also want them to travel to Brooklyn and do the same thing. Um, So I, I also have my eyes set on faculty exchange. So, you know, some New York musicians go over to paris and sort of present their lineage and background um their teaching artists come to brooklyn so i think the idea of just a cultural exchange you know between the two countries but uh, specifically new york and paris and sort of all the historic ties artistically between those cities um makes for a very strong uh you know case to form a relationship
0: sure does that sounds like remarkable plans to me and If you ever need anybody to accompany you on those trips over to France, you let me know. I'll do my best. Uh, I know enough to be dangerous with French, but I certainly don't speak music like you do. We did talk about that as well. I imagine music has to cut through that language barrier as well, too, right? Almost like mathematics, kind of like a universal language. So it's really cool that you were able to conduct and or play with them instantaneously, essentially, because you both speak that language, which is really cool. So that's a beautiful moment as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's I think we, we were chatting about that a little bit, too. Um, yeah, definitely some language barriers. Um, you know, we're getting to meet each other for the first time. Like, you know, you, you have to spend time with somebody to create a relationship. But I will say that when I was playing and even when I was just conducting and sort of like moving through a rehearsal, which I've done, you know, again, thousands of times as a longtime teacher. Uh, There was no obstacle, like it it was it was so organic and there was sort of and I would say between myself and the teaching artists in particular over there, like this kinship of just, yeah, like you're musicians, too. Like it's kind of it's it's a community Um, and it did not matter. It was another continent and mostly French. (laughs) So
0: it was very cool. That's so cool. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing, Brian. Thank you for being here and telling the story of the Brooklyn Music School. We're very excited for your plans, excited to have you back as those start to materialize. And before I let you go, I should get a couple of quick questions so people can know where they can go to learn more. That's probably the best place to start, as in, where would you point people to where they can go to learn more about the Brooklyn Music School and see you know, what how they may be able to get involved to help as well?
1: Yeah. So I think the best way is to visit our website at brooklynmusicschool.org. Um, And if you just search Brooklyn Music School on Google or whatever, it will come up quickly. Um, That website, uh, we've done a lot of work on, um, so it's very easy to navigate. It's going to give you donation means if you want to look at that. Um, It's going to break down all the programming, uh, the staff, the personnel, all the events, the calendar. Um, And then, of course, we have uh, social media presence um, that we're sort of trying to build and grow on. So you can certainly just search Brooklyn Music School on Instagram. Twitter, and Facebook. Um, In terms of YouTube, I would have to get back to you about that. Um, We have posted a lot of things on YouTube. I don't know if we have our own channel, but um, the other three uh, social media platforms are safe.
0: Fantastic. And any of those links that you want to share with me as well, too, we'll make sure that they get in the show notes. So any of our listeners want to learn more, they can click directly in our show notes and get them to those platforms as well, too, where they can learn more. And then the last question I have for you is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch?
1: Hmm. Um, well, uh, you can you can email me. So we'll put those in the show notes. That's probably the best way. Um, I'll put my, my office line and my email. Um, I kind of check email constantly. I've got to work on that. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely accessible um, just to kick that word around one more time in this episode. Um, I'm on the ground. I'm at the school all the time. So um, if you're in New York or Brooklyn, please come see us, come see me, but um, shoot me an email. That's that's gonna be um, the best way.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate you being here and telling the story. very excited to share it with our audience.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: You're very welcome. Thank you for listening in this episode of Scaling Impact. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you'd like to learn how to scale impact at your nonprofit organization by more than double and less than half the time, i encourage you to sign up for my free five-day email course at nextstep.io forward slash impact. That's nextstep.io, nxt pio forward slash impact.